You know, when when I tend to teach, I tend to ask a lot of questions and have audience interaction. Um, I know that uh, this format does not really suit uh, that format, so um, I'll be doing my best. I have no idea how long this is going to be. I can tell you that it is two pages worth of material, and um, and we'll get through it. So just thank you for, for coming, and um, uh, let's pray, and we'll get started. Uh, Lord, we, we want to pause just now. I pray for our pastor, and I pray that uh, Brother Andy is getting the good rest that he deserves. Um, he and Sharon, who have uh, they, they work so hard. Um, I pray that uh, you would uh, rejuvenate them, refuel them, uh, and, and just give them what they need. I, I know that uh, they're enjoying them, themselves, and, and I, I thank you for that. And I do pray that they would have a safe return. Uh, and... Um, um, Lord, but for now, uh, be with us now as we open up this word. Um, thank you for meeting our needs. And I know in a room like this, there, there are lots of prayer requests, people who are hurting and people that we know who are hurting. Uh, we thank you that uh, you know our hearts. And um, so, Lord, now be our teacher today. And it's in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Hey, Jason. Yes. I, I failed to properly introduce you. I'm sorry. Okay. This, for those of you that may not go to our church or that haven't um, been introduced, this is Dr. Jason Gish. He's our minister of missions and um, also one of our elders. So we're looking forward to hearing from him today. So thanks. Right, thank sorry. You. <laughs> so I'm going to read a couple of sentences uh, and I want you to. Get in your mind uh, which one of these you think as is biblical, okay? Um, so the first one goes like this. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That sounds pretty biblical, right? Um, you can nod your head. If you can hear me, nod your head. Yeah. Yep. That sounds biblical. We've been studying Galatians. We've been preaching for the sermons the last three or four weeks. Have I mean, they've all almost been the same sermon because the material in the book of Galatians has been very repetitive because Paul is really making a, a strong point here. Uh, how about uh, this sentence? You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, is that sentence biblical? Most of us would shake our head and and say no, particularly in light of the sermons that we've been hearing and the direction of the, the study that we've been having. However, if you were to open your Bibles to James... And everybody goes, dun, 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 the letter of James. It always seems to be in conflict sometimes with Paul. If you were to open your Bible, and I encourage you to do so if you have yours, to James chapter 2. If you open your Bible to James chapter 2 and look at verse 24. Find my reading glasses. James chapter 2, verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith 
alone. All right, that's in the Bible. James is scripture. It is the inspired word of God as much as Paul's letters are, right? So James is in the New Testament. It is Christian scripture written by a Christian. And he says the words, I'll read them again. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So we have a problem. There's a problem here. We we as Westerners uh, tend to teach very strongly Paul's teaching about justification by, by faith alone uh, through grace in Christ. But we have this letter of James that seems to say something different. So we have a problem. How do we bring these these two things together? How do we resolve these scriptures? Well, the law. We've been talking a lot about the law and sermons, the, the Jewish laws. How much how much do we really relate to the law? I mean, we we study them, we know the Old Testament, we we uh we know the Ten Commandments, we study them, uh we read Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and and we see all of, of all of the Old Testament law, but in in reality, none of us, or I don't I don't know of any of us. Maybe some of us are, but none of us are are Jews. So how do we really relate to the law? I mean, we're not going out and sacrificing animals and uh, doing all these ceremonial hand washings and and uh, all of these things. So how do how do you and I relate to the law well we know that in in romans that uh whether we're jews or not particularly if we are gentiles we we make a, a law unto ourselves uh we we have a system we we make our own system and, and it may be derived from scripture uh many times uh but our our system uh, that we generate of of do's and don'ts of what's the right thing to do what's the wrong thing to do uh, what's the right motive to have? What's, what, what fuels us? And so all of us have a system, a, a standard of right and wrongs that helps us determine our standing of how good we are or how bad we are, perhaps even our, our standing before God. And uh, many times then, because we have this standard, we'll, we'll, we'll put a badge uh, of the good things that we do and we, and we wear those good things as a badge of honor. And then we have our vices that we set aside that we know what we're not going to do, but many times we, we'll treat our vices like pets. And when they annoy us, we kick them out of the room. But many times we'll take our vices and lay them in our lap and, and we will pet them and, and feed them and, and take care of them. And, and we have this constant struggle of doing what's right and not doing what's wrong, but then we do it. I had a, a friend named Mike. Mike was a very good friend in high school. And, and I remember saying to him one time, uh, he was going to do something. And, it, and I don't remember what it was he was going to do, but I, I said, Mike, are you sure you want to do that? And he said, well, God's going to forgive me. Uh, he knew whatever it was, which I can't remember, he was going to do it. He knew it was wrong. He knew it was sinful. He knew it wasn't the right thing to do, but he had the idea, well, God's going to forgive me, so it's okay. 
And so we had this cheap grace, this cheap forgiveness that, that my friend Mike was, was banking on. And so when we think of salvation and we think of grace and God's forgiveness and we think of justica- justification by faith, we have to be very careful that we're not cheapening the grace of God um, because Jesus paid so much for it. Um, and so we have this justification by faith alone with Paul and this people being justified uh, by works and not by faith alone in James. And how do we bring those two things together? Because we know both Paul and James, I mean, James says it in James 2.10, if you have one law-breaking moment, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. You're guilty of breaking all of it. So this leads us back to our question, our problem. Um, Do we have a wrong? Are we justified by our works and not by faith alone, as James says? Or are we justified, as Paul says, by faith alone? In our Western society and in a lot of our sermons, I think we pretty much understand Paul's position. Just fine. So we're going to look at James. All right. So we're going to be in the letter of James and we'll go back to Paul a little bit. We're going to be in the letter of James and here's the question. What does James actually say about works? Or what does James say about the law? And James says five things about the law in his letter that we're going to look at. All right. So James says five things. The first thing that James says about the law is James says the law is perfect. If you look in James 125, It just says it right there. It says, but the one who looks into the perfect law. So James, there's, there's some law out there. We're not quite sure what James is talking yet, talking about yet by the law, but we do know at this point in our study that James is describing this law as perfect. Whatever it is, it is perfect. All right. It's unblemished. It is unflawed. It is faultless. So whatever James is talking about, about the law, it's perfect. So that's the first thing James says. The law is perfect. The second thing that James says about the law, and we'll infer this from uh, verse 17 in chapter 1. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. To me, what James is saying about the law in regard to this is that the law is God-given, okay? If it's perfect, if the law is perfect, which he says in 125, then it is also, it is God-given because every perfect gift comes from above. So James says these two things about the law so far. He says the law is perfect, it's unblemished, it is unflawed, it is spotless, but he also reminds us that it is God-given, so whatever James is talking about in about the law, it's at least those two things. The third thing that James says about the law, back in verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, in this construct, um, my version is the English Standard Version, And it reads pretty well in line with the Greek. He says, whoever looks into the perfect law 
And then he goes on to give a clarification about which law he's talking about. Whoever looks into the perfect law, and in case you're confused about what law I'm talking about, I'm talking about the law that gives liberty. Okay, so James now has three ways he's described this law. It's perfect, it's God-given, and it's it's the law that gives liberty. It's the law that gives freedom. And if there is a a perfect law, there must be one that is imperfect. And if the perfect law gives freedom, then the imperfect law captivates us or imprisons us. Okay? So, there is a perfect law that is God-given that provides freedom. All right? So, that's three things that that Paul said about the law. The fourth thing that Paul says about the law is in chapter 2, verse 8. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you're doing well. The royal law. So James describes the law as royal. Well, what does that mean? When I think of royal, I think of of kings, right? You think of kings and kings who have a kingdom. Well, according to James, who would he describe as the king? According to James, the king would be his brother. It would be Jesus. So this law is a law that is of Jesus's kingdom, so this law is comes from Jesus. And so we have this quote from Leviticus 19.18, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's, that's a part of the double love command. You know what I'm talking about when I say the double love command? What is the double love command? Well, it comes from Jesus. What did Jesus say about the law when he was asked? What were the two commands? Love God, love your neighbor. That's the double love command. Well, here Paul's quoting Leviticus. I mean, James is quoting Leviticus, but he's also quoting his brother. He's quoting the Lord. And so he is interpreting the law through the lens of Jesus. And so the law is royal because it is of the kingdom of God. It's, it's the law that governs the kingdom of Jesus. It's the law that governs the kingdom inaugurated by Jesus. So, so far, James has described the law in four ways. It is perfect. It is God-given. It provides freedom. It's, it's of liberty. And it is royal. It's, it's of the kingdom. And then the fifth way that I see that James describes the law is, is about how to function within the community of God's kingdom. And that's going to be found in uh, verse 9 of chapter 2. It just says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. And then over in verse uh, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law 
and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who are you to judge your neighbor? So the law is for the community. The law is for kingdom living. All right. So here James says to not show partiality and to not speak against a fellow kingdom dweller or citizen. We can speak against our brothers and sisters in a lot of ways, can't we? We can slander them. We can lie about them. We can lie to them. We can talk bad about them to other people. We can share deep frustrations with other people that creates bitterness in our hearts. About partiality. We can embrace those who look like us. We can embrace those who can provide something for us. While at the same time neglecting those who may be different than us. Or can't provide whatever someone else might be able to. And and so we tend to show partiality. James says in the kingdom of God. And according if we're going to live the way Jesus says, if we're going to live in this perfect, God-given, freedom-giving, royal law, we're not going to act like that. And so this perfect, God-given, freedom-given, kingdom behavior law uh, given us, frees us to live what I'm going to say in the in-between verses. And what I mean by the in-between verses are the rest of the letter of James. And James has a whole lot, gives a lot of wisdom about how we are to live in the kingdom of God. So I want to read now, I'm going to shift from the book of James, and I'm going to shift over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to take a little bit, just a quick look at Paul and something he says. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 4 of chapter 8 of Romans. So, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and uh, for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay? Two things about that verse. One, there was two different laws mentioned here. There was the law of the spirit of life. Whatever Paul means by that. The law of the spirit of life. And then there was the law of sin and death. What I, uh, what I submit to you is that when Paul says the law of the spirit of life, that's the same law that James is talking about. Okay? Not the law of sin and death that Paul expounds on a little bit here. And what James, what Paul says is that when we're living in the law of the spirit of life, that we're going to be living by the spirit. 
right? You know that full well, right? We're going to be living by the Spirit. He also says over in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 1, he says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Well, James says that the law provides liberty. So whatever law he was talking about was freedom giving. Well, Paul says here in Galatians 5.1 that for freedom, Christ has set us free. So I think they're, they're getting at the same things here. He also says, Paul also says in verse 13 of Galatians 5, he says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And he also says in Galatians 5, in verse 18, he says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He says you're not in the law. You have the freedom to practice a certain way. If you're living by the Spirit, you have the freedom to live a certain way. And he describes that certain way in the fruits of the Spirit in verses 22 through 23. Now, most all of you here could probably quote the fruits of the Spirit. Does any one person want to take a chance and unmute yourself and quote to us the fruits of the Spirit? Vicky is clap, is showing. No, she's saying yes. Let's give that a try. So who would like to do that? Karen Vassar. Okay. Yeah, I, I can, I can try. Okay. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That Did I miss Love, joy, <laughs> peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, faithfulness gentleness, and self-control, right? So, and you'll get to hear this in the coming days because we're going through Galatians and, and the pastors who ever preached, probably Brother Andy at this point, since we're doing the one service. But as we go through, I mean, yeah, we've been in Galatians and we've been talking about justification by faith, but we'll really be getting into what that really means. But here, what I would say to you is when we're living in freedom and we're living in the spirit, we have the freedom to live in these things. We have the freedom to live in love, the freedom to live in joy, the freedom to live in peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and and self-control. And we are free to live out our lives in that manner. Well, I want to go back to the letter of James, and we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit in James. The first fruit of the Spirit Paul lists is love. We'll look at James one twenty-five. I'm sorry, James one twenty-six and twenty-seven. Somewhere I wrote down the wrong verse. I'm trying to recover myself. Hang on just a second. Okay, yeah, verse 12. Uh, uh, Chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Love God. And then uh, chapter 2, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you will love your neighbor as yourself. The first fruit of the spirit, love. James covers that. 
joy, the second fruit of the Spirit. James chapter 1, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James covers that. Love and joy. Peace. Look at James chapter 3, verse 17. James 3, 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. James covers peace, love, joy, peace, patience. Look at James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then down in verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James covers patience. So he's covered love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Look at James one twenty seven. Kindness. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. I think that describes kindness. Goodness. Look at James three thirteen. Who is wise and understanding among you, but by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James covers goodness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Let's look at faithfulness. James chapter 5. Look at verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. James covers faith, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Back to verse 17 in chapter 3. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, and then gentle. Open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. James covers gentleness and self-control. The last fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentions, James covers. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we teach that we who teach will be judged with uh, greater strictness for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able to also to bridle his whole tongue. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Look at the ships. Also, they are also large and are driven by strong winds and they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How a great forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course, set on fire by hell. James here is talking about the tongue, and bringing up to me it is that it's it's it's, it's kind of in between the lines, but it's the self-control of controlling who we are and in controlling the tongue. So what I'm saying in all of this is that James and Paul are not at odds with each other when it comes to justification. 
What I'm saying is they're they're looking at the same coin. They're just looking at opposite sides of that coin. When James and when when Paul's talking about living by the Spirit, and James is talking about living by the law, they are actually indeed talking about the same things because they're both perfect. They're both given by God. They both provide freedom. They both give us instruction for living in the kingdom of God. And so Galatians, Galatians 5, 6, Galatians 5, 6 says this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith. Only faith counts. But he doesn't stop with the word faith in Galatians 5, 6. Faith does count for everything, but it's a faith expressing itself through love. And so when Paul says that, I think very much so he means the same thing when James says this in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works, but show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So to me, James and Paul are in no way at odds with one another. They are using different vocabulary. And if we were to take those verses that we started with, the first verse I mentioned was Galatians 2.16. If we were to take Galatians 2.16 and James 2.24, those are the two verses that I started with. If we were to take those and completely remove them from Scripture and read them by themselves out of context, yes, of course, they are at odds with one another. They don't match up, and Scripture seems to contradict itself here. But when we take those verses and put them back into their context and read Galatians as a whole and read the teachings of Paul as a whole in Romans and elsewhere, and we take the uh, James 2.24 verse and read it in James as a whole in its context, then we can see very clearly that, that this concept that that faith Yes, faith does justify us. Faith alone does justify us. But that faith is going to be characterized by a certain way of living. Okay, does that make sense? I think all of you probably totally understand this. I mean, you are saints yourselves. And you've been studying scriptures, many of you, your whole lives. And so none of this really is a surprise to you. But it's just so important for us to remember these things and to be reminded of these things. So what is the type of living that demonstrates our faith? 
if we look very closely in the letter of James, we have to make sure that we're not living a, a checklist life that is erroneous. Meaning, I don't see James mentioning that our vital Christian work is to attend church. I don't see James saying that our vital Christian work is to attend as many Bible studies as we possibly can. Um, what I see in James is a, a saving faith is going to be full of, of those fruits of the spirit that Paul mentions um, and things about love and mercy and wisdom and patience and not showing partiality and not living in judgment. Um, so anyway, for you and I, we just have to really check our hearts. You know, if you and I, are, if you're, if, if you're asked the question, when were you saved? If you were asked that question, when you were saved, and your answer is, well, I was baptized when I was 13. And that's the very first thing that comes to mind. And you're banking on an act that you took called baptism a number of years ago. I would encourage you to either change your vocabulary or check your heart. Because when you were saved is when you crossed that line of faith not when you were baptized, and that evidence of your faith has been the life that you have lived. And so, anyway, I'm kind of rambling on now. So that's really, I've come to the end of my page, and so I don't have anything left to say. Um, I would entertain questions um, or uh since I'm the missions pastor, at this point, maybe what I would say is my study is done and and you can be free to leave and you can say bye to somebody if you want. But I'm also happy to take questions about missions or anything that you would uh, like to ask at this point. I might not have an answer, but your question may spur me on to good thought of, hey, that's that's a good idea. So um, if you have any questions about the study or any questions about missions at this point, I'd be happy to take them. Hey, guys, thank you so much for letting me fill in for Brother Andy. It was fun, and I, I hope that uh, together we, we learned something or re were reminded of truths that we already know. And, of course, the last thing we want to do is to walk away from here and just let that be something we learned and not something that changed our thinking or our hearts or our minds or brought something to us that we need to adjust as, as we all work on this process of sanctification. So. Do you want um, me to uh, pray us out and then anybody who wants to stay on and visit can do that. All right. Let's pray. And then also uh, yeah. Dr. Gish is preaching on Sunday as well while Pastor Andy's on vacation. So if you'd like today, I bet you'll get to uh, hear him again on Sunday and enjoy that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for these people and their faces, and I love seeing them every week. And thank you for the technology that enables us to do that. Lord, I thank you for Dr. Gish being willing to lead us today and just to um, try something new. And I know that several people in the group, and probably almost all of us, have been trying something new with our Zooming and different technology. And just thank you that you've blessed us with that ability.
and help us to go in comfort and peace and knowing that you are the fulfillment of the law. And we just pray that you would keep your protection and your safety and health on everybody in this group and our friends and family and our church members and just be with Belton as this is a big week. And for all those that celebrate, help them to do so safely and that we would see everyone back next week in Jesus name. Amen.